Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I hope everybody had a great holiday season. Um, I'll kind of tell you my little story about our holiday season every year at the end of the podcast here. But I decided to talk about uh, HGE for today. So in order to understand what HGE is, we actually need to understand what GE or gastroenteritis is first. So gastroenteritis, gastro means stomach, enteritis means the intestines. So itis also means inflammation. So if you have inflammation of the stomach and the intestines, you're usually going to have vomiting and diarrhea. Lots and lots and lots of things can cause gastroenteritis. Um, there are unfortunately like too numerous of things to count, but anything that can cause that inflammation will cause this. So gastroenteritis is kind of like an all-encompassing term. You know, it can be that there might be parasites or it could be a viral infection or it could be that the dog ate something that they weren't supposed to and their stomach is upset from it. It can be from foreign bodies like that aren't stuck. They're called partial obstructions or just a foreign body that's in there that's causing a problem. You know, there's tons of things that can cause a gastroenteritis but um, until we can narrow it down to a specific cause, we just put it in this kind of big group of gastroenteritis. So like, let's say maybe a dog comes in and it's vomiting, having diarrhea. We'll say it's a puppy, you know, so at that point, if people can't do the diagnostics on them, like maybe that, let's say they're like, hey, I really can't afford to do blood work or x-rays or anything. I just want to get a serenia injection then the most common thing that you'll see us write on there is going to be something like gastroenteritis because we don't know what the cause is. We just know something is causing inflammation of that stomach and intestines to cause them to have vomiting and diarrhea. Now, let's say they come back the next day because they got funds together and we did a parvo test on them. And now we have a parvo positive dog. Well, now, even though we have that diagnosis of parvo, it still falls under the group of like gastroenteritis. So we have this big group of like, here's your gastroenteritis. And now we found the exact cause, which is going to be parvo. If you kind of think of this as like, um, you know, like the animal kingdom, like when you think about the kingdoms and phyla and stuff, you have this really big group of like animals, animal kingdom, but there's all these smaller groups. You know, you have the felids or the cats you have the canids or the dogs you have you know primates and all these other things so we took this really big group of animal kingdom and now we're breaking it down into smaller things and that's kind of the same thing we're taking a really big group called gastroenteritis and breaking it down to smaller things that it could potentially be so now let's talk about what hge is so the the acronym is actually for hemorrhagic gastroenteritis. So we just talked about gastroenteritis, right? Now all we're doing is adding on a hemorrhagic portion to this. Hemorrhagic means blood. So now we have vomiting and diarrhea with blood in it. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be in the vomit and in the diarrhea. Just one of those things has blood associated with it. Most of the time, this is going to end up being diarrhea, usually not going to be from the vomiting. There is another name for this as well. They've actually updated HGE to actually be called an acute hemorrhagic diarrhea syndrome. 
And it just means the same thing, right? So acute means that this is a very quick onset. It's not something that happens over a really long period of time. It's very fast that this happens. Hemorrhagic is, again, going to be that bleeding into the intestines. Diarrhea and then syndrome. So we would shorten that to A-H-D-S, acute hemorrhagic diarrhea syndrome. Now, this is actually something that is more specific. Um, there are lots of things that can cause bleeding into the GI system. Like think about parvo again. You know, normally we see really bloody diarrhea with that. And that is hemorrhagic, right? Like we do have bleeding into the system. Other things that can cause that uh, bleeding or inflammation of the intestines are going to be things like pancreatitis or inflammatory bowel disease. So this is now talking about, about a very specific syndrome. This usually is where we have a dog who suddenly has bloody, watery diarrhea. They're extremely dehydrated. And then sometimes they are having vomiting as well. But this can get so bad that they can go into shock and die from this really bad hemorrhagic diarrhea. Um, like I said, there can be vomiting. Usually about 80% of them do vomit. And about half the time that vomit can have blood in it as well. It's usually little bits, like little flakes of it, little specks of it. Um, it's usually not going to be like tons of blood, luckily. But it's usually that the blood is mostly going to be in that diarrhea. And any dog can have this syndrome. It can be a small breed dog, a large breed dog. It could be a young dog, a middle-aged dog, an old dog. It doesn't matter. Any of them can get this. Now, how do we diagnose it? Because like I said, you have parvo. You know, it can look a lot like this. But we can do a parvo test to rule out that it's not parvo. You can have pancreatitis. We can do a pancreatitis test to rule out that it's not pancreatitis. So how do we kind of decide specifically that this is you know, AHDS or HGE. So there's no specific test for it like we have for parvo or for pancreatitis. Instead, we have to look at their blood work. So when we're looking at their blood work, we look at the PCV or the packed cell volume. What that literally means is that if you look at one of those, those tubes, the little crit tubes, go ask Latoya or Jordan to show you what I'm talking about. But if you look at a crit tube and you'll see after they've spun it down, the bottom part of it is going to be all red blood cells. There's a little white layer on the top, right on top of the red part, and that's the white blood cells. And then there's a clear or yellowish type of fluid on top of that, and that's going to be the plasma or the, the liquid that's going to be in your blood or in your vessels. The red blood cells is what we're looking at to tell us like how packed is the red blood cell count. So the packed cell volume, packed red blood cells in there. Usually we want it to be for normal, it's like 35 to 55%. So you're looking at a percentage of all of that and 30 to 55% of your whole of the blood in your body should be red blood cells. When that dog becomes really dehydrated though, that PCV or packed cell volume or amount of red blood cells we have in there becomes much, much higher. They have to have a PCV of greater than 57%, but typically these PCVs are going to be greater than 60% in most of these patients to kind of tell us that there is something else that's going on here, that there's they're very, very dehydrated. 
We're also looking at the amount of solids that are in there. So there's the total protein. When they, when you take that little PCV tube, um, you'll see like they look at it on this little PCV chart. Again, ask, ask Latoya or Jordan to show you this, but they'll look at it on a little chart and then they will break that little tube and then they'll look at it on this little tool called a refractometer. It basically shows you by looking at the light how much solids are in that clear fluid. The solids are actually like the protein that's in there. So we'll call it total solids or you'll call it total proteins, but it's just a bunch of these little proteins that are in your fluid. And it's usually like albumin and globulins are the most common ones. There are other types of proteins, but those are the most, the most abundant ones that we see. In these AHDS or HGE patients, that total protein will actually be normal or lower than we would expect. It's like this paradoxical thing. Um, it's just like it's you would expect them to be really high because if they're really dehydrated, you would think that that number would go up. But in these patients, they're actually low or normal. So like I said, we're going to look for the blood work and other things to kind of decide is this AHDS or HGE or is it something else? Uh, so the most common features, like I said, are going to have a PCV that's usually greater than 57, typically greater than 60%, a low or normal total protein or total solids, uh, vomiting, diarrhea with blood in it, and then that there's not something else that we can find. So we're still going to be looking for things like a foreign body, because think about what I just said, all of those things. All of those things still match if this dog had a foreign body. If there's something you're know, ripping through its intestines, it's going to be dehydrated because it's not drinking and it's vomiting and it's having diarrhea and it's going to be bloody th from that thing that's ripping through its intestines. So we're going to do x-rays to rule that out or things like parvo. You know, parvo is going to look like a lot like this as well. Vomiting, diarrhea, dehydrated, bloody diarrhea, and you know, these can be really hard too, because unless they have like low white blood cells on our blood work, low white blood cells are going to make us think more that this is parvo versus a normal white blood cell count. But you can still have a normal white blood cell count in parvo, especially if it is at the beginning of the disease, or if this is that, that other type of parvo that does not test positive on our SNAP tests, those commonly don't have a low white blood cell count. So we may want to do a parvo test in-house, or maybe we want to do a send-out diarrhea panel so we can look for those things as well. Other things like I mentioned, pancreatitis. Pancreatitis causes vomiting, diarrhea, bloody diarrhea, dehydration. So again, we'll do things like a pancreatitis test to rule those things out before we can call this HGE or AHDS. So what causes this AHDS? Uh, we don't 100% know, but um, we do think that it actually starts with an infection of a bacteria called Clostridium perfringens type A. And that's actually part of our diarrhea panel, like it will test for that. There are lots of different types of Clostridiums, and we just have found that this one tends to be uh, one that's in the stool when they do have things like HGE or AHDS. 
And it's always in your system. So we kind of think that maybe it's just being, you know, it's just like going crazy once we do. And then we start getting this really bad disease from it. Um, Clostridia also produce toxins, especially when they get out of hand. The, if anybody's interested, this particular one is going to cause um, two toxins called NETE and NETF. But they're just like toxins that cause diarrhea. The toxin like kind of ulcerates the intestinal lining so that it makes the intestines bleed. And that's why you get that bloody diarrhea. But it also makes them more permeable to fluid. So more fluid can come out from the intestines into like from the bloodstream into the intestines and cause more bloody diarrhea. So they're losing a lot of fluid into the intestines, which is going to cause them to be very dehydrated. And the PCV or the amount of red blood cells starts to rise, especially if you're starting to get things like ulcerations where that endotoxin or where that toxin is, or even in the stomach will cause that, that um, ulcer, which is going to cause more bleeding. So how do we treat this? Uh, in most cases, they do well when they're hospitalized. So if you're really aggressive with therapy, so like you'll see us do like boluses of fluids to try to get their um, PCV to come down to a reasonable number. We want it to be somewhere around that 35% because that way we know that they're rehydrated again. But we wanted that to come down. We want to get them out of shock. And then we're also going to give them medications. So like medications for nausea, right? So serenia. We'll give them some pain control because it's super painful if you have this toxin eating away at your intestines, right? And then we want them to eat immediately. So like the sooner they eat, the better because that's going to coat the intestines. It's going to coat the stomach and try to help make sure that toxin can't like ulcerate the intestines. And most of these dogs end up having a super dramatic improvement. Like within the first 24 hours, they just feel better. And then, you know, some dogs will stay for a couple of days because when they just aren't eating yet, um, I'm going to say that typically like 24 to 72 hours is about as long as they're in the hospital for. And antibiotics for this, I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't really mention at first, right? So antibiotics are kind of controversial. The reason why is because if I didn't give antibiotics, a lot of times the diarrhea and stuff is going to go away. And what's the most common antibiotic we're going to give? We're probably going to give metronidazole for the diarrhea. No matter what antibiotic we give, it kills off bacteria, right? But you have good bacteria and you have bad bacteria. And sometimes you have, you know, just more bad bacteria that's being overrun and it's overrunning all of the good bacteria. But when you give antibiotics, you can't just say, only kill this bad bacteria. Unfortunately, it's going to kill some of the good bacteria as well. So if you kill off the good bacteria, more bad bacteria could potentially grow in its place. So it's not something we always want to jump to first is giving metronidazole. A lot of times just rehydrating them, if that helps within the first 24 hours, we don't need to give them metronidazole after that. Because again, we want to try to keep as much good bacteria as possible. But let's say we see like the dog has a fever or it has a really high white blood cell count, then that might be something we're going to reach for is doing antibiotics, whether it's metronidazole or unison, 
because now we know that there's like a true infection and now we kind of have to help that dog not have that infection anymore. So we're kind of looking at those that blood work to decide what the best route is for that dog. Now, one thing I didn't mention with the blood work is going to be that sometimes we have to run clotting factors because that dog could have been bleeding for so long that it has gotten rid of all of its clotting factors and it cannot make a blood clot. And if that's the case, that's not good for that dog. Like that's going to that's going to make it to where that dog is going to continue to bleed because you need certain factors to get to the bleeding to stop the bleeding. And if you don't have those things, then you can't stop it. Like think about it like a dam. If you don't have the materials to create a dam to stop water from flowing, you don't have the wood, you don't have you know the cement or whatever it is that you use to build a dam, it's going to continue to flow out. And that's kind of what happens when we don't have enough clotting factors is it's going to continue, that blood is going to continue to flow out because we don't have anything to stop it. So sometimes we do have to run clotting factors and also give a blood transfusion. We only do that if the clotting factors are down, they're anemic, things like that. Sometimes we also give plasma transfusion instead. A blood transfusion, uh, depending on what kind, there's two different kinds, but there's either a packed red blood cells, which really just has red blood cells in it. So we only give that for like anemic patients. So ones that don't have very many red blood cells versus there's whole blood. That's when I like draw it from Nora. If anybody's ever seen me do that, draw it from Nora or draw it from another dog. And then we give it immediately back to the dog who's having a bleeding problem because it not only has red blood cells, but it also has clotting factors in it as well. Now, the other thing that we could potentially give instead, like let's say the red blood cells are fine, because think about what I had just said before. What, what is it that we use to diagnose these guys? It is usually that they have a really high red blood cell count or packed cell volume. So instead, kind of the better option is to give plasma. Plasma has clotting factors in it to be able to give back to that dog so we can help stop that bleeding. Some other things that are going to help too are going to be a bland diet. Uh, if this is something that they're doing at home, then we talk to them about doing like a chicken and rice diet. So one of the big questions people ask me is how much chicken and rice should I feed and how do I do it? So if you have somebody who is diligent about cooking, you can have them just make up a big batch of chicken and rice. So it's going to be chicken breast, no skin, no bones, no seasoning, no oil, no butter, nothing bland. And it should be boiled, not baked, not barbecued, not fried, not in the air fryer. Like it should be just boiled because there's too much fat that sits on it. Otherwise, like people don't think about like a lot of fat in chicken because it's not a very fatty, fatty meat, but there's still more fat than what we want in there. So we want to boil it to get all that fat out. And then same thing with the rice. It could be white rice, brown rice, doesn't matter. Just bland. So that, that way we're not creating more problems. If they can't do that, then do what we do at the clinic. We use the canned chicken, right? You can go to the canned tuna aisle. There's a canned chicken. And we just want to make sure that they get the canned chicken in water, not the one in oil. And same thing, you just feed that with the rice. Now, how much do they feed? I usually tell people to feed about the same amount as they would normally feed. So like, let's say that they feed a cup twice a day of their regular dog food. 
then I would say do a cup total of chicken and rice. So 50% of that chicken or half a cup chicken, 50% of that rice or half a cup rice twice a day. So that, that way they're getting roughly the same amount. It may not be the same calories, but the thing is, is that every type of dog food is a different calorie. There's no way we can kind of decide like how many calories their dog is eating at that moment and how many calories we should do for the chicken and rice. Cause it also depends on what kind of rice did you get and what kind of chicken did you get? And so it's, it becomes like, um, a really big calculation. So instead just feeding roughly about the same amount as they normally feed in chicken and rice. The other thing is to really mention to them that this is just chicken and rice. That's it. Like don't feed their regular dog food as well. No treats or anything. Like we just want chicken and rice. People will sometimes also try to do chicken broth or um, uh, vegetable broth or beef broth or something. There's too much sodium in that. We don't want that broth in there. If anything, they can like get a little bit of the water that they use to uh, make the chicken and rice and use that. Like I would ideally even like the water from the rice rather than the water from the chicken. Because again, there's too much fat on that chicken. So we want to just use like things are going to have low sodium, not a lot of fat in them. And then they usually want to do that for about three to five days and then slowly start feeding their other normal food as well. So then you want to start putting in, you know, usually a quarter cup of their their old dog food to three quarters cup of chicken and rice for a couple days and then half and half and then three quarters of the, the old dog food and a quarter cup of the chicken rice for a couple of days as well. And then after that, they can go pretty much back to their normal diet after that. The other thing that can be potentially helpful is going to be probiotics. You'll see lots of different types of like prebiotics and, and probiotics. So a prebiotic is supposed to be something to help the bacteria grow, like want to grow, versus a probiotic is to help the bacteria grow that's already there. Either one is great. Both of them are going to help just make more good bacteria. It feeds the good bacteria rather than potentially the bad bacteria. That's what we really want to do is we want our good bacteria to overgrow the bad bacteria. And that's about it. Like if they can get through that. We can get them through the shock. We can get their diarrhea under control, their vomiting under control, their eating. They usually do really well. It's the ones that come in too late when they've been really bad and shocky and their PCV is like in, like I've had one in 80% before. Um, those aren't, those aren't good. That's, that's not a good outcome. So hopefully if they can get them in soon enough that we'll be able to treat for the HGE or the AHDS, whichever one you want to call it, and get them back to their families, you know, feeling much better. All right. So if you got to the end of this, I did a short one because it's a, here's your Christmas present, short, short podcast for today. But, uh, my story is that I know some of my overnight technicians know this already, but my son's birthday is in December. Plus we celebrate Hanukkah. Plus we celebrate Christmas. So we call it birthonomists. It is like just nonstop month of presents and it's kind of terrible. Like we have to do his birthday party, which this year we did Nerf Wars. And so they just all shot each other with Nerf guns. That was actually kind of awesome. And then we have 
we have Hanukkah going on today, or last, I guess technically last night was the first night of Hanukkah. So we have eight days of Hanukkah and then we'll eventually get to Christmas. And Hanukkah, like, I don't know if anybody knows about Hanukkah, but it actually changes every year. So sometimes it's in December, sometimes it's in November, but almost always it's around my son's birthday. So he always gets like extra gifts for that. Isn't he lucky? So I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do for next week yet. If you guys have any suggestions, let me know. Uh, but in two weeks, I'm going to attempt to have Helen on to talk about just like her story and like what she does. So hopefully I can get that uh, set up with her. All right. If you guys have any questions, let me know. You know, I'm always happy to answer your questions. If you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm always happy to do whatever topics you're interested in. Um, I try to throw in things that are going to be like normal things that we see plus some really crazy things that we end up seeing so uh, again like if you have any like specific cases you want me to go over or if you have like a, any topic like i'll still do general practice topics everything uh, like that so if you have any any topics just please let me know all right thank you guys and uh, again i hope you had a really good holiday and hope you have a good new year's